This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Forever Young, the new memoir and self-help book from Helen Sharp. Forever Young, the complete guide for the woman who wants everything. Pick up your copy today. This episode is also made possible by viewers like you over at patreon.com slash podcemetery. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And it's a, I guess we can say a, a, a lady's life after death episode. Really what's important here is that it is a patron's choice episode. Yes. On Pod Cemetery. Make sure you have your voice heard over at patreon.com slash pod cemetery. We're watching 1992's Death Becomes Her and 2014's Life After Beth. Two movies where ladies die and continue living. <laughs> So thank you everyone who is a patron and chimed in. Happy to do a- an episode that you prefer. There's also a couple more coming up that we've already asked about. So uh, keep an eye out for other Patrons' Choice episodes. Kicking off with our classic film, 1992's Death Becomes Her. It was written by Martin Donovan and David Kep and directed by Robert Zemeckis. He did Back to the Future, Forrest Gump, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. But more importantly... He did What Lies Beneath, mm. which we've covered on this show. It's a good movie. Also, like, pioneering special effects movies, right, that do really, really well. Back to the Future. Forrest Gump. <laughs> Famously, they they could not get off of our televisions how they filmed, like, the scene where he shakes JFK's hand. <laughs> Congratulations. How do you feel? I gotta pay. <laughs> I believe he said he had to go pee. <laughs> And Who Framed Roger Rabbit, of course, which is just incredible work doing something that was never done that well before, mm-hmm. uh, despite the fact that it had been around for a very long time. The movie stars Meryl Streep, Bruce Willis, Goldie Hawn, and Isabella Rossellini. Kelsey, what is Death Becomes Her about? Two women uh, at the age of 50 go to the furthest lengths to uh, sustain beauty and youth, and they try to take their love triangle man down with them. The movie is available to rent for $4 and buy for 15 although it is only $4 on Spectrum On Demand. Kelsey, should people watch Death Becomes Her? Yes. Yes. 100% yes. This movie is great. Absolutely you should. I have loved this movie ever since it first came out, mm-hmm. and I don't get why some people don't like it. I can't imagine why you wouldn't like this movie. Like, people think it's too dark? I don't think it's too dark at all. I feel like they're focusing on the satire. Like, they're saying that... It's great. Well, okay, the satire that, oh, we put too much emphasis on trying to stay young and beautiful. Like, it's true, but can it really support this entire concept? I don't think that's what the movie is really, really about. It's like people who do something because they're desperate to maintain their youth and beauty, sure. But that's, like, the premise. It's not the whole movie. 
Like, there's more to it than that, especially the comedy. This is about relations between women. Yes. And And men. Men. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, you should absolutely watch it. Uh, Been a big fan of this one for decades now. Apparently, it's been 30 goddamn years since this movie came out, Kelsey. 30 years. (laughs) 30 years. It's pretty insane. (laughs) Well, you can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 1992's Death Becomes Her. Some people will go to any length to stay young forever. Is that someone? It's Madeline Ashton. She was a big star in the 60s. I thought she was dead. Oh, madam. You look younger every day. Thank you, Rose. But Madeline Ashton and her old friend, Helen Sharp. I've lost men to her before. Mad Hill! Are about to go (laughs) too far. A touch of magic. Drink that potion, and you'll never grow even one day older. Bottoms up. Ernest, I'm in the morgue. They think I'm dead. You are, but you're not. Are you telling me it doesn't hurt when I do this? It doesn't hurt. She's dead! She's dead, Ernest. You pushed me down the stairs. Universal Pictures presents Meryl Streep, Bruce Willis, It's a miracle! And Goldie Hawn. Look at me. I'm soaking wet. Death becomes her. I just have to make a telephone call. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does Death Becomes Her begin? Broadway, 1978. Yep. Uh, we're going to meet our one of our main characters, Madeline Ashton, played, of course, by Meryl Streep. Yes, well, I mean, we're just going to call her Meryl Streep through this whole thing. We're not going to remember Madeline. Madeline. Mad in hell. Yeah, m- Madder in hell. It's because it's she actually calls her mad. Yeah, she calls her mad. Uh-huh, and she Helen is hell. hell. And Bruce Willis is Earn, Ernest. Mad Earn Hell. Mad Earn Hell. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I get it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a stupid little thing. Don't worry about it. It has nothing to do with the movie. <laughs> but so everyone thinks she is way too old to be playing this part. I mean, people are walking out in the middle of the show, which is just incredibly rude. Here's the thing, though. Apparently, you barely hear it, but apparently it's based on Sweet Bird of Youth. Yes. Looking it up, Sweet Bird of Youth is a Tennessee Williams play, and it's all about an actress who's getting too old. Yeah. So, like, they think she's too old to play the actress who's getting too old? I don't get it, but whatever. Yeah, but people are, like, sleeping and snoring, but Bruce Willis, who is the date... Of Goldie Hawn, which, I'm sorry, it's Goldie Hawn. Like, come on. But whatever. I know she's supposed to be, like, larger in this movie, but whatever. He is engaged to Goldie Hawn, but he chooses Meryl Streep over Goldie Hawn, even though nobody else thinks she's a good actress. He's always just been obsessed with her. He's been a a huge fanboy, and he demanded that when he found out that she knew her, that 
she take him to go see her perform. They were old friends, and Goldie Hawn has a whole complex because apparently Meryl Streep would steal all of her boyfriends. Yes, she, and she's like, I had to make you meet her before we got married to see if you would pass the test. And he did not, and he instead marries... Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep, purely to... She does this just to spite Helen. And yeah. also, he's a He's a famous plastic surgeon. Plastic surgeon. And she's obsessed with being, you know, and looking young. So he, she'll always be rich, but he'll also... I mean, he's going to end up being, he does, like, work on dead people. They keep calling him an undertaker. But, like, isn't the whole point so that she can stay young and beautiful by having a plastic surgeon as her husband? Yeah, I think it's because he became an alcoholic. Right. He loses his job. Okay. But I gotta say, any excuse for Bruce Willis to wear a wig... I'm down for. It doesn't look as much like a wig as some of his other roles. Like in, I think it's the Jackal, he wears a wig. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Because it's still kind of his hairline, but it's obviously not his. It's like thicker than his normal hair is. <laughs> you see him throughout the rest of this movie. It looks, if it's not his normal hair, I'd be surprised. It looks like his actual hairline. <laughs> so cut to seven years later, which means it's now 1985. Uh-huh. Goldie Hawn has gotten even has gotten very, very large uh, and has a billion cats. and She eats cake frosting of, right out of a tub. With her own fingers uh-huh. and like just keeps re-watching Madeline dying in one of her movies. And this is when she's being evicted. And then that leads to her in a mental institution. Yeah, because she gets arrested. And then they send her to some sort of institution where uh, Kitty Foreman is... She's one of the yes. one of the patients there. But they're like, oh, we haven't heard you talk for a while. Would you like to talk about anything? And then she says, Madeline Ashton, and everyone loses their minds because obviously she's obsessed. Yes. What about you, Helen? We haven't heard from you in a while. Is there um, anything you'd like to t- talk about with the group? Yes. I would like to talk about Madeline And the doctor, like, yells at her, and she's just like, you're right, you're absolutely right, I need to forget about her, I need to eliminate her. Eliminate her, yes. yes. So another seven years later, so now it's 1992. Fourteen years total, We're to modern day. Helen finally has published a book, which they had said earlier she is a writer, called Forever Young. Mm-hmm. The Mel Gibson movie. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But so Madeline, who's gotten old at this point, Uh because it's been 14 years since 1978, which was when she was already getting old. Uh Uh-huh. But remember, they're 50. Right. They're supposed to be 50 at this point. And she looks perfectly fine. Yeah. But whatever. She's supposed to look old and gross, but like she doesn't. They're both in their 40s in real life here. Yeah. But so... Poor Bruce Willis is very unhappy in his marriage. And yes, he has become a total alcoholic. Mm -hmm. And she is just an absolute walking nightmare. She's always angry Uh and yelling about everything. I'm surprised they didn't do anything with her assistant, who's kind of like their maid now. She was her assistant when she was an actress. 
in the very beginning of the movie, we see her. But now at home, they see her. She's the one who's waking them up. She gets him a Bloody Mary because he falls asleep on the floor in his office because he passes out drunk. Yeah, and she feels sorry for him. Yeah, but we never see her again. That would have been an interesting wrinkle to throw into the movie is if she ever came back and she just never comes back. We're skipping over a lot of jokes. Like, I think it's important to mention that this movie is just joke after joke after joke. And if I hadn't seen this movie a billion times and didn't know most of Uh them, I would have been laughing hysterically. I think this movie, it has brilliant comedic acting in this. Yeah, I think... Meryl Streep, she got famous off of super dramatic roles, and I think her comedic chops are underrated, and they are on show in this movie. Bruce Willis, on the other hand, he got famous from comedic roles, and I don't mean Die Hard, which is an action comedy. I mean, like, Moonlighting, which was a fantastic show, and it was comedic. So, Willie Hahn was totally a comedian. She was actress. a comedian ever since she was in Laughing. Yes. Way back when. But I think that Meryl Streep is, yes, an underrated comedic actress. I think that if you have not seen She Devil, you absolutely should. <laughs> what a pull. Movies, what a pull. Yeah, I think that both She Devil and Death Becomes are great comedies. <laughs> Very underrated. I, I think she got kind of a. Sort of comedic resurgence, especially with younger audiences for movies like Devil Wears Prada. Yes, if you could call that comedic. It's not very comedic. She's a pretty terrible human being. Yeah, but in a funny way. (laughs) I guess. But so, I mean, we're not going to hit all these jokes because there's just too many, but you need to see it. It's so funny. It's just so dense. Yes. Mm -hmm. But so... Madeline is told about Helen's book party. So she's like, shit, I got to go and get this this thing done to my body or uh-huh. face or whatever. And the people that work there are like, you can't do it. It's a six month. Proce- it's You can only do it once every six months. You are just here three weeks ago. Yeah, that was just, yeah, that was forever ago. Yeah. Three weeks ago. <laughs> and she says, money is no object. And that's what spurs a guy in the background into action. He was not there before. He wasn't? No. And then she says money is no object. And then all of a sudden he's there. He's the guy that owns the place. And you can hear, I think her name's like Anne or Anna or whatever. She loses her exotic French accent when she's talking to him. Yes. I didn't Mm -hmm. know if that was a mistake or on or. No, it's definitely on purpose. It's one of those like, get it. It's all a facade. Everything's fake. You know, nobody's actually happy and successful and beautiful. Everyone's fucking miserable and putting on a show. I am sorry, but the plasma separation is a very traumatic process to the body. Our policy clearly prohibits more than one in a six-month period. So, it's been nearly that long already. Miss Ashton, you had one three weeks ago. And... I could do your makeup myself. Makeup is pointless. It does nothing anymore. Are you listening to me? Do you even care? You just stand there with your 22-year-old skin and your tits like rocks and laughing. Mm. I could pay you extra. Something on a personal basis. You know what I mean? How about that? Money is no object. It means nothing to me. 
Oh, Mr. Chagall. I'm sorry, Mr. Chagall. I'm really, really sorry. Anna, don't talk. Just go away. That's the satire at play here. There was a weird joke going on about his eye. I so I read up on this because you mentioned it. I read up on this. I don't think anybody has a really good thought about what it is because he works directly for Isabella Rossellini and we will see him later on in the movie, like way, way later. And he doesn't have that problem. So is he just twitching because of the mention of money? Is he twitching because he just had a procedure done? Like, did he get Botox or something like that? And his muscles are spasming. Like people were throwing out ideas, but there's nothing concrete. It's a weird thing. Yeah. Because you'd think that maybe like, oh, if it happened, it was an accident. But no, it happens three times. No, it's and very obviously it, a thing. And then it stops. Like, it's uh-huh. very much on purpose. Like, is, is he just really, really super old? And now that part of his face is fucked up? Just like they're going to experience? Like, that's the best theory that I can come up with. Hmm. But so they go to this party and... I'm only going to say it because it is kind of, it kind of is important. It comes up later. Bruce Willis is, of course, drinking at the bar at this party. And this woman finds out who he is. And she's like, oh, my God, you did amazing work on my aunt or whatever. What is your secret? Spray paint. <laughs> they, they make spray paint for mannequins. He and sh- that's what he uses. He shocks her, yes, with this. And that's important because he's going to use that, a lot of spray paint uh-huh. later. And spray paint is going to be how they fall at the end. <laughs> So it's sort of like Chekhov spray paint. It, it better be introduced in Act One. <laughs> but so uh, at the party, Madeline realizes that Helen is gorgeous Goldie Hawn, wearing uh-huh. this amazing dress, looks incredible. And she's just like, oh, no, I'd better get out of here. But of course, Helen spots her before she can. Yes. And of course, Bruce Willis is like, oh, my God, did I make the wrong choice? Because as pathetic as he is, you know, like, I don't know. I like they, they by the end, he's the only character that grows in a positive way. Yes. He learns something by the end of this movie and he tries to do the right thing. Yes. Um, and he's the only one. So he, he they try to eventually make him sympathetic. But at this point, he's just fucking pathetic. He was an opportunist. He broke his fiance's heart so he could marry this person that he was just a fan of who just wanted to use him. And then that destroyed his life. And then the first time he sees his ex-fiance successful, he wants to get back with her. Yes. True. True. But yes, he does get a lot better by the end. But of course, Helen is aware of how beautiful she is. And Helen plans to use that to use Bruce Willis to get back at Madeline. Well, yeah. not get back at her. He, she Steal has, him back. Steal him back. She, well, she has every plan to murder Helen. Yes. I mean, Madeline at this point. Helen looks at him as more of a means to an end. Uh-huh. Yeah, she hates him too. But she's willing to put all of that aside if it means getting back at her. And what she's going to do is she's going to take each of them aside and tell them opposite things. She's going to tell Bruce Willis, it's not your fault. She's a seductress. It's what she does. She specifically targeted you and took advantage of you to hurt me. And she's done it in the past, and she just did it again. It is not your fault. I don't blame you. And then tells Meryl Streep that he's an asshole. 
I can't believe I let him get between us or whatever it is that she tells. Like, so she's just trying to butter both of them up at this point. Yes. But so because she's reeling over how gorgeous Helen looks, she decides to make herself feel better by going and sleeping with her pool boy. Yeah. Did you recognize this guy? No. The moment he started talking, I was like, I know that voice. From Mystic Pizza? No. That's Larry Underwood from The Stand. Oh my god, you're right. Oh, holy shit. As soon as I heard his voice, I was like, I know that voice. It's a washout! You're absolutely right. (laughs) I I, know this one slipped past me, for sure. (laughs) What a poll. Another great poll, Kels. But he tells her, uh, you know, you should find someone your own age. When we go out, we look ridiculous together, which really upsets her. Uh Adam Stork, by the way, is his name. You know, the other day somebody told me we look ridiculous together. Now, how do you think that makes me feel? So you never think about my feelings. You should go find someone your own age, Madeline. It's a washout! So that's why she goes to that place. It's just an address that was on the card that the man gave to her at that beauty salon doctor's office thing. Now, there are a lot of things that you could talk about at this party, at this house. Well, there's no party yet. It's- right, I know. But, like, all the things that happen at this house, you could talk about her the, her attendance. You could talk about the Tom, dogs. Tom, Dick, and Harry. Yeah, you could talk about the dogs that take the elevator. But, like, what you need to know <laughs> is that, I love that. it's just bizarre. Uh-huh. And, and extravagant. And it's great. Like, it, it's it looks like this sort of, like... Modern architecture, like, you know, like 50s sort of or earlier Frank Lloyd Wright thing. But it's almost like Art Deco from the first half of the century. Monolith of a building. And then, yeah, she goes in and everything's so goddamn extravagant. Yes. And I love the weird shit. I love how bizarre this movie is. And when later on, when Bruce Willis will be running through this house, I was like, oh, my God, I just want to watch... 12 Monkeys. That's how off the wall and weird uh-huh. this movie is. And I really, really and it like it. made you think of Terry Gilliam. Huh? That's interesting. <laughs> Isabel Rossellini looking absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. Presents her with this potion. Oh, according to her, she was really wearing nothing. It was just the sarong and the necklaces. And they were just like, obviously they were taped or whatever in place but that was she was literally just on set wearing nothing well she looks incredible Mm -hmm. and so she shows her this potion and she's it's funny because before she does she's talking about how sad it is how old we have to get and Meryl Streep says well it is the natural law and Isabel Rossellini goes no screw the natural law (laughs) which is really funny in the moment, but it's also going to be important later uh-huh. when Bruce Willis says you broke natural laws. Yeah. And she's like, what? You're in violation of every natural law that I know. I'm, I, I violated what law? In violation of every natural law that I know. <laughs> she realizes that she did. Uh-huh. She realizes what that means. Uh-huh. But so she doesn't believe her because she's like, she asks for way too much money. And she's like, there's no way I'm going to give you that much money. So she pricks her finger, which Meryl oh Streep way God. overreacts to. This is what I'm talking about when I'm saying like she has these comedic instincts that are just so good. <laughs> 
When she screams after getting pricked, it is just perfect. <laughs> Priceless reaction. Ah! What are you nuts? So she does that to show her what, look at what this tiny little amount can do. Uh-huh. Just put some on the knife and then some on the cut that she just gave her and it youthifies her hand. Yeah, you watch one hand get really young and one hand that's still old. There are these sunspots, sunspots or whatever, spots. Liver, liver spots on the on the back of her hand, which are very obviously just drawn in. As, <laughs> as good as the effects are in this movie, especially for 1992, that's the worst effect in the entire thing, <laughs> is the drawn on liver spots on the back of the hand. I will say, since this is the first, like, major effect that we see in the whole movie, the special effects were done by Industrial Light and Magic, and this is what they did immediately before they went on to do Jurassic Park. Oh, my God. Yes. It's the same cinematographer and same production designer. Oh, my God. Yeah. And Industrial Light and Magic, of course. This was a sort of revolutionary film when it came to special effects. Like I said, this is what... Robert Zemeckis does. When she's walking backwards, it looks incredible. The amazing part about that is, you know how they did it? It's just a fucking blue screen. They put a prosthetic on the back of her neck, and they put a blue screen hood on her. And that's literally Meryl Streep pretending like she can't walk. It's so good. It looks really good. But it's just a simple, you know removal effect they just cut out what's there it's also the first movie i'll tell you when it is to use realistic cg skin like act they're trying to give that sort of semi-translucent like skin effect yeah you can act you can tell you can tell it's a fake effect but it's like the first time Mm -hmm. like you know how the first time anyone did a completely cg figure everyone points to the young indiana jones where the stained glass shatters out of the window and then it forms into this night made out of stained glass. And it's a terrible effect, but it's the first one. I thought the owl from Labyrinth was. Okay, I was wrong. It was not young Indiana Jones. It was the young Sherlock Holmes. But that is the first fully CGI character. But that was 1985. The... Owl from the Labyrinth is apparently widely regarded as the first realistic CGI animal to appear on the big screen. <laughs> yeah. So, of course, as soon as she sees this, she's just like, check okay? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so Isabella Rossellini is like, ten years you have of perfection. A warning. <laughs> now a warning. Now? <laughs> But so she tells her 10 years you have of perfection and then that's it. Then you have to either fake your own death or or as one of my clients said, I want to be alone. Greta Garbo, apparently. She isn't. (laughs) You may continue your career for 10 years, 10 years of perfect, unchanged beauty. But at the end of that time, before people become suspicious, you have to disappear from public view forever. You can retire, you can stage your own phony death, or, as one of my clients simply said, I want to be alone. (gasps) No, she's not. Wow. Bottoms up. (sighs) Now a warning. Now a warning? Take care of yourself. You and your body are going to be together a long time. Be good to it. 
siempre viva. Live forever. You're going to see a bunch of famous people who died very young. Later on, you're going to see Andy Warhol. You're going to see Elvis, um, Marilyn Monroe, the guy from The Doors. Uh, yeah, Jim Morrison, James Dean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'll see all of them at a party way later in the movie. But so then you have to disappear from public view and you've got to take care of your body because you're going to be with it for a long time. Uh-huh. Which, unfortunately, she does not heed that. No. But so she feels gorgeous. She watches herself change in the mirror and she looks amazing. But at the same time, Goldie Hawn has been convincing Bruce Willis to kill Madeline Ashton. Yes. She has an extremely elaborate plan. Yes. Their plan. I mean, it's really elaborate, but it comes down to they're going to drug her. And then they're going to bury her. She's going to show up for dinner, keeping things light and, you know, on the up and up, pretending to be pleasant. And they're going to drug all the glasses and they're not going to drink out of it. She is. But they are going to drink after. It's so weird. Yeah. She says it doesn't matter which glass she takes, that it will be laced. It's like narcohol or something like that. It's supposed to knock her out. And make her seem like she's dead, even though she's not. Mm. And then they're going to put her in a car, and they're going to pretend that she's dead. They're going to drive her off of a cliff. And it's oh, funny yes, how they do that. They seem like she's all drunk. They put, right. like, two dozen bottles, and they pour it all over the car and everything. Yes. And then they drive her off the cliff. And we see all that happen. And then there's a giant explosion. But none of that is going to happen, because when Madeline gets home, her and Bruce Willis are going to get into an argument. And he is going to push her down the stairs. He's going to start by fucking strangling her. Yes. And then he's going to take her to the edge of the stairs. And then he, she's going to, like, beg or whatever. Because he snapped at this point. Goldie Hawn has worked him up to the point where he like, yeah, you know what? You're right. She is terrible to me. I do need to kill her. And she's terrible to him and when she, she gets yes, home. And she is actually terrible to him. So he does snap. But she's begging him, like, please help. And he's like, oh, my God. What the fuck am I doing? This is, I'm a terrible person. And he lets go. And she starts to tilt back on her heels. And she insults him again. And he pushes her. And so he just pushes her with one finger. And she falls down the stairs in one of the most violent fucking spills down down this flight of stairs that I've ever goddamn (laughs) seen. There are a lot of breaking bones in this movie. She lands right on her neck. Oh my god. Yes, her falling on the neck. It doesn't look real, but it sounds real. And that's enough. Yeah, and it's just like over and over and And over And then when you see her walking around with her neck turned, ah, it's really hard to look at. When she turns it back, the neck protrusion, oh my God, it's it's hard to look at. When she does that thing and she lifts her head up. Yeah. I think that's the scene where they use the CGI skin. That looks kind of silly. Right. Like we were saying, but it is like the first one. I will say Meryl Streep fucking hated it. She claimed that this would be her last CG movie. She said in an interview in Entertainment Weekly in 2000, my first, my last, my only. I think it's tedious. Whatever concentration you can apply to that kind of comedy is just shredded. You stand there like a piece of machinery. They should get machinery to do it. I loved how it turned out. But it's not fun to act to a lampstand. Pretend this is Goldie right here. Uh, no, I'm sorry, Bob. She went off the mark by five centimeters, and now her head won't match her neck. It was like being at the dentist. 
is the way she described it. She's like, I like how it turned out, but I hated doing it. Well, it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I, it was definitely worth it. She kept, Okay, so he thinks she's, he's killed her. He goes to call Colty Han, who's uh-huh. like, what the fuck? What part of the plan didn't you understand? Yeah. And as he's doing this, she gets up and she's walking. And it's so good. It's so funny. I've always thought it was so good. And once he realizes what she, what's happening, he's like, you stay away from me. And she's like, you bet I will, psycho <laughs> animal. Like, she, and she has no idea that her neck is broken. Uh-huh. And it's really good. I think it's it's excellent. And she once she finally realizes it, she's like, my ass. <laughs> my ass. Why can I see my ass? Stay away from me. You bet I will, animal, psycho. Don't come near me. Wife, pusher. Don't come near me or follow me. Don't come near me or follow me or talk to me. I don't intend to. I just have to make a telephone call. Madeline, look at yourself. Huh? Look at yourself. Ernest. My ass. I can see. It's very much that Spaceballs joke. Why did anybody tell me my ass was so big? (laughs) Why did somebody tell me my ass was so big? (laughs) So she ends up twisting her neck back and she's like, I think I need a doctor, which is when they're going to go to the hospital. And this again, very much like 12 monkeys. It's going to be off the wall, weird, wacko. Oh my God, yes. So first they go and they see... The doctor is Sidney Pollock. Sidney Pollock directed Out of Africa, which Meryl Streep was in. Mm. Well, he's pretty funny. Yeah. You might recognize him from Eyes Wide Shut. He is more of a director-producer type, but he has been in a couple acting roles. He's the senator or whatever it is, the the big guy who is sleeping with the prostitute uh, and she dies. Mm. But so he's the doctor and he's talking to her and like he's just freaking out about what's going on with this patient of his. And Bruce Willis is like, what does that mean? And he's like, I don't know. And he he (laughs) runs out. She doesn't have a pulse and her temperature's too low. And And her bones are totally broken. Yeah, and she can't even feel it, but she can still move her hand. So he ends up passing out. It's pretty funny. Well, he dies yeah he's having a heart attack he's he's having a heart attack they show him he's taking some pills he puts it underneath his tongue which is what you do for i think nitroglycerin which is for heart conditions and so then he leaves and then later when bruce willis is looking for a doctor you'll see that they're trying to resuscitate him and bruce willis sees some crazy shit but ends up finding out that they've taken her to the morgue because she passes out yes and and they think she's just dead but so he's like, the morgue, she'll be furious. <laughs> so he goes down there. And this is the result of deleted scenes, right? So there are a lot of deleted scenes. Oh, things, there are a lot. Things from that the trailer they, alone. Yes. They had a completely different ending, which didn't test well. So they completely changed it. I'll get to what that was when we get to the ending. But yes, we see three nuns crying, floating across the hall. And even though there is no scene to tell you why they're there, that just adds to the weird ambiance of this bizarre hospital that we've already seen. Absolutely. They were there to identify the body of a priest. 
in the morning. That's why they're crying. But they're just floating down the hall. Yes. When she does wake up, she's just like, they think I'm dead. What's wrong with me? And he's like, it's a miracle. <laughs> I woke up and it was dark. Amor! <laughs> She'll be furious! Oh. It's me, darling. Oh, oh, I fainted and then I woke up and, and it was all dark and I, I kept yelling and, and yelling and yelling. Nobody heard me. Nobody did anything. And then I didn't even know where it was and I got Ernest, I'm in the morgue. Why am I in the morgue? Shh, it's okay, it's okay. Listen to me. I understand now. It's incredible. It's physically impossible, but now I understand it. They think I'm dead. Yes, yes. They think you're dead, but you're not dead. In the whole of recorded medical history, this has never happened to another single human being. You know what you are, darling. You're a sign. You're an omen. You're a burning bush. I am? Of course you are. We're being told that we belong together. And I'm being called. I'm being challenged. Don't you see, Madeline? It's a miracle! Now, the weird thing is, he's going to then take her home. But when they get home, Goldie Hawn is going to be watching from afar. And she's going to watch him drag Madeline out of the car. And I'm like, why is he dragging right. her? It's a little inconsistent. They don't fully explain why. You can make up your own logic as to why that is. Did she fall asleep? He's having trouble waking her. Did she pass out again? I don't know. But so they go inside. He's going to make her look better because she looks broken. Yeah. He's getting all the spray paint just like he does with his dead patients because she is dead. Uh-huh. And while they're doing this, she she's like, why does the phone keep ringing? Who keeps calling? <laughs> and he, it's like he's completely forgotten about Goldie Hawn. Yes. Uh-huh. And when Goldie Hawn shows up, he's like, oh, shit, I forgot all about you. And she's just like, we need to bury the body. We need to fix this. And... Madeline overhears it, and she's like, what the fuck? So she decides she's going to shoot her. She shoots her point-blank range right in the gut. And this is actually a really good effect most of the time. There are some odd shots here and there that don't look so good. But it's going to blow a hole right through her body. She's going to fly all the way into the fountain in their backyard. And when she comes out, she'll be dripping wet, and her eyes will be fucking ice. Well, but when she first dies and they aren't aware that she's also going to come back, there's just some comedy gold here. Yeah. Meryl Streep is just like, these are the moments that make life worth living. <laughs> Bruce Willis is like, what if the neighbor's here? And she's just like, a neighbor? In 12 years in LA, have you ever seen a neighbor? It's, it's just really good. I think that they just do an excellent job of making fun of 90s yuppies. Uh-huh. I think it. Hits it on the head. The way, I don't know who it is. I think it might be Goldie Hawn about, like, he can't go to jail because do you know what they do to 50-year-old Republicans in jail or whatever the line is? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you know what they do to soft, bald, overweight Republicans in prison, Ernest? So Goldie Hawn, of course, gets up. When she first gets out, she's all mad. She's like, I'm soaking wet. <laughs> Doesn't even realize she has a giant hole in her stomach. There seems to be something wrong with your blouse, Bruce Willis says. And he's like, it's another miracle. <laughs> How eager he is to be like, a miracle. <laughs> Bruce Willis is so 
good. I absolutely love him. And you might forget about him because of how good Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn Because it's are. really about the two of them. And they're going yeah. back and forth. And Bruce Willis is very easily pushed to the side. But his lines... He just does such an outstanding job. I uh-huh. don't know what the fuck happened to him in the last 10 years. Oh, do you not? Do you not know? No. Okay, it's like a whole thing. There were there have been theories people are banding about. Like, maybe he's being taken advantage of in some way. He's not all there mentally. Because he's just been in a bunch of really low-budget movies. And it seems like he just has an earpiece in and they're feeding him his lines. He shows up for, like, a day. And then he leaves. It's really bad. And it's like, what's going on with Bruce Willis? Does he owe, like, tax money or whatever? Like, Wesley Snipes or, or uh, Nicolas Cage? No, he has aphasia. Yeah, that came out. One of his daughters announced that he's retiring from acting because he has aphasia, which means he has a hard time. Like, it starts out not being able to, like, read, but then, like, you have a hard time understanding things. And yeah, he was really, like, legitimately losing his mental capabilities and still acting. But was he being taken advantage of? I don't know. I can't say. Yeah, but it's a real big fucking bummer. But yes, back then, he just really, really... I I don't know, in 92, people were probably aware he was a comedic actor. But like, I don't know, by the end of the 90s and into the 2000s, he's just like, yeah, he does funny action movies. You know, that's what Bruce Willis does. But no, he's like just straight up comedy. He's really good. He's hilarious Mm -hmm. in this. This is, of course, once they realize that they have both taken the potion. She asks her, when did you take the potion? Because she realizes that's what she did. Do you remember what she says? 1986, way before you? October 26, 1985, way before you. That's the year from Back to the Future. That's the yes. day and year from Back to the Future. That's oh, where the, the, like, the modern day takes place in Back to the Future. And then so he goes back. 30 years, and then he has to get back to the future or whatever, right? And that was a Robert Zemeckis movie, so it's just a little Easter egg about Back to the Future. Fun. (laughs) But yes, seven years earlier, so right after she had that revelation that she needed to eliminate Madeline. But so as they're shouting at each other and they're going to have a fight, they're going to have a shovel fight, uh, poor Bruce Willis, who, of course, as I said, gets shoveled off to the side, is like, I don't think this is a miracle at all. (laughs) And then he ends up going upstairs because he's just realizing, I'm just a puppet here for these Uh two bitches. So they have their shovel fight. um, But then they end up apologizing to each other Uh because Helen finally admits, yes, I thought you were cheap when we were younger. And that's when Madeline admits, okay, yes, I stole all the men to make you upset Uh because you were mean to me. Yeah, you thought I was cheap. And so they sort of make up and Meryl Streep realizes, you know who would do a really good job fixing my shit and your stomach is Ernest. This is what he does. (laughs) And so sure enough, he does that for them. On the condition that it will be the last one. But really quickly, there's just one really quick thing I want to mention. Yes, of course. There's so, like I said, so many jokes that we are just not even talking about. But during their fight, Meryl Streep has a spear or something and she throws it at I think it's the shovel. She chucks the shovel at her. And it goes through the hole in her stomach and the first response that Meryl Streep has is yes! (laughs) (laughs) And then she's like, oh damn! 
what she wanted to do. Uh, I just love the idea. I've got it. I got it through the hole. Yay. <laughs> Later on, when things calm down, Goldie Hawn will sit down on that couch and With the shovel will go out. right through her. Yes. Uh, that apparently was something that ILM needed to fix because she didn't sit in the right place. Because obviously there's nothing sticking through her. They had to insert it later, but there was like they had to like warp. Well, where when the she sits was. down, I was I'm always I've always thought how how much did that thing just bend to get through you? Yeah, it did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but so his condition is I will fix you up and then you leave me alone. That's not good enough for them. They realize they're gonna need him forever. Ups. Touch-ups, man. Uh As soon as he starts to leave or he goes to bed, like, things already start to, like, peel or fade. Uh So they're like, well, we'll just drug him and then we'll give him the potion. Then he'll be stuck with us. And they try to drug him, but he won't take it. He realizes he drinks too much. Yeah. And he realizes, like, he comes to a lot of realizations. Uh So instead, they just hit him. They each hit him over the head with a with a vase. So one does it, and then the other does it. And then they stop him from falling down the stairs because he'll actually die if, yeah. they, if they let him <laughs> fall down the stairs. And he wakes up in Isabella Rossellini's pool room, and she comes out completely naked. This is actually Catherine Bell, who was in JAG. Do you know? Did you ever watch JAG? Okay, I have those kind of parents. Watched all those fucking shows. I don't know what that is. So, at the time, oh yeah, absolutely, I would have been all about, I I had no idea until we watched it through this time that that's who that was. (laughs) But so, she shows him that she has the potion and it works, and, Uh and she does the same thing with his hand. But- Here's the thing is that she's saying a lot of bad, wrong things. She starts, like, going off and, like, getting really manic. Well, because it's very exciting for uh-huh. her. Sempre vive. Live yeah. forever. And he's like, wait a minute. I don't want to live forever. What, what if I, I got bored? What am I going to do? Hang out with Madeline and Helen forever? <laughs> Watch everyone else I love die? That's a nightmare. This isn't a dream. And uh-huh. he realizes what... Every vampire story has tried to tell people uh-huh. living forever isn't great. Drink! Siempre viva! Live forever! Then what? What? Then what happens? What? I don't want to live forever. I mean, it sounds good, but what am I going to do? What if I get bored? What? And what if I get lonely? Who am I going to hang around with, Madeline and Helen? What if something happens to me? What if I get maimed? What if I get shot? What if somebody pushes me down a... What if I fall down a flight of stairs or something? But you never grow old. Yes, but everybody else will. I'll have to watch everyone around me die. I don't think this is right. This is not a dream. This is a nightmare. You people all have to be stopped. But I'm sorry... If you get to live forever and be beautiful as opposed to becoming a disgusting Dracula. And, well, until you get injured. And you get to hang out with all the beautiful people of the world that didn't want to die. Like, yeah. that sounds pretty great. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I guess you can't, you won't die of natural causes. And you will heal, I assume, but you just can't die. If you die, then your body starts to decompose. You take good care of your body. But it stays animated as one of the side effects of it. So, like, yeah, that would fucking suck. What if I get 
bored. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, for sure. And so he runs off with the potion because she's going to try to force him to take it. And she may- gets her henchmen, Tom, Dick, and Harry, to chase after him. But she's like, don't worry about it. He's old. What's he going to do? And he runs out into the party. And this is when we see all the famous people. And we see the guy from the beginning with a twitchy eye, except it's not twitching. And he introduces Isabella Rossellini. Liesel is her name. But he's running around and they notice him in the crowd because they are in the crowd, too. And they're like, oh, my God, he's there. And then they see him put the, the vial away. He has the vial. He hasn't drinking it yet. Yes. But so they chase after him. But he ends up getting away. He climbs out onto this gutter that then swings out over this pit in the middle of the property. And they're trying to rescue him. And they can't. And then he just says, you know what? No. They're like, well, you can't fall. If you fall, you'll die. You need to drink the potion. And then they say something wrong, too. He's going to. And then they say something to remind him he doesn't want to do it. And he's like, god damn it. Fuck this shit. And he drops the vial. Smashes. And then then he he falls falls. and you think, okay, he's going to die, but he falls into the pool. Yeah, he falls through the skylight into the pool. Jim Morrison is like, are you done, man? As he's climbing out. Oh, yes, (laughs) I'm done. And then he goes off. He hides. And then we get um, a 37 37 years years later. Okay, so before we tell this story, here's what was supposed to happen. He was supposed to meet Tracy Ullman. Tracy Ullman. Yes. Okay. Who plays Tony, a bartender. Okay. And then they hit it off. Okay. And she agrees to help him fake his death. Okay. And then years later, like 37 years later, maybe it's less than that. I don't know. Years later, they're on some trip or whatever. And they notice that there's this old man and this old woman who seem happy together and they've grown old together and they're like oh man they really envy them because they're like we'll never have that we'll be young forever despite the fact that we're all deformed and everything now by this point right and as they get up and leave what they realize is oh my god that's earnest and so they chase after him they end up getting hit by a car and they shatter into pieces okay so that's what was supposed to happen and all of tracy ullman's part got cut (laughs) I mean, mean, like, that's a lot to take out, but yes, it's not that different. I mean, like, he dies and apparently had a great life, and then they fall. Well, this gave them an opportunity to, like, after the fact, say all the great things about how he really turned his life around. He had, like, six kids. That wife was Tracy Ullman. At the the age of 50, he went on to have, like, yes. Six kids. Yeah. Can you believe it? So, he's dead, and he's being eulogized- by John Ingle. We just saw John Ingle in Stepfather 3. He was Father Brennan. That's right. Yes, he was. Yeah. It's funny. And we at the time we talked about him being in Heathers. <laughs> and they are making a lot of noise. Ha <laughs> you know, blah, blah, blah. And complaining about how their makeup's falling apart or whatever in the back pew. And just they're disturbing everyone, and then they end up leaving. And it's funny because they're dressed beautifully in this morning attire. And but it's just to hide. Yeah, they're like they're like walking all funny, and which is great acting on their part. They lift the veil, and you can see that they're all crusted and everything. Cracking. And they can't find the spray the paint. The spray paint. Where is the spray paint, Kelsey? 
It's hiding on one of the steps. Because they used it before they went in. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't find it. And so when they go to walk down, one of them trips. They both fall down the steps again and have seen very similar to the ones we've seen before. Mm-hmm. And they shatter into a bunch of pieces, just like in the original ending. But they're not dead. They're just pieces on the steps. Do you remember where you parked the car? <laughs> With the assumption being that they could probably, since they're all animated, pull themselves together. It's yeah. very funny. But that's going to be the rest of their lives. So it's like 51 years, I think, is what it comes out to be. Because this, this would be 2029, I think, is what it comes Yeah, 37 years, right? 37 years from yeah. 1992. 2029. Ah, so that is Death Becomes Her. So good. Very so funny. good. We did not talk a lot about the comedy but it is just so good i mean we're not gonna recreate it yeah you gotta watch it it's so funny yeah what do you think this movie has on rotten tomatoes i know what is it it's 54 it is it's way underrated han and streep are as fabulous as death becomes hers innovative special effects zemeckis's satire on the other hand is as hollow as the world it mocks disagree Siskel and Ebert both gave it thumbs down. Oh my god. Saying that the film had great special effects, but it lacked any real substance or character depth. Oh. Disagree. If you're looking at them bickering and arguing the whole time, I think yes. But the character who changes is Bruce Willis. Mm-hmm. It has a Metacritic of 56 and a cinema score of B, which I'll be honest, is higher than I thought it was going to be. I thought for sure it would have like a C. Oh, this movie's too funny for that. Um, yeah, but I I can imagine people are all like, oh, they're comedy. Like, the question, I don't know. I would say both of these movies are dark comedies, obviously, yes. right? But I tend not to like over-the-top dark comedies that are, I don't know, like uh, very bad things. It makes me very uncomfortable. Because you're wrong. <laughs> I, I don't like very bad things, not because I think it's a bad movie, but movie because it's hilarious. like, oh, I just can't root for any character. All the characters fucking suck. And there's like real stakes involved. And it and it really sucks. And everyone's just awful to each other. But this is to the point where the cruelty isn't the point of the comedy. It's just funny. And Characters are cruel to each other, but that like facilitates the comedy and not the other way around, which is the way I feel it is in Very Bad Things. So when like the sex worker dies in Very Bad Things, which sort of like sets off everything and this guy's doing coke and then that guy's and then then it ends with him in a wheelchair. Like it just feels bad. There's nothing about this movie that feels bad. So this is why I don't get why people don't like it because they think it doesn't have character depth or, you know, like, oh, it's satire, but it doesn't work. Like, hey, there's a little bit of satire, but that's not why I'm here. I'm not here for the satire. I think it's really funny. I think it's very creative. And it's a lot of fun. Yes. 54 is definitely underrated. Definitely. But what would you give it? I'm going to give it a 90. Really? I think it's fantastic. I think that just all the performances are phenomenal. I think for the time, the special effects are amazing. Hysterical writing. 90. Wow. I love this movie. That's incredible. I've always loved this movie. I was, I mean, I so have I, but I was going to give it an 80. You really outshone me. Sean shined. Whatever. I did it drinking, I think I said earlier. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, I'm the one overrating things. Yeah. So this is interesting. And this is a movie I really enjoy. (laughs) 
I'm going to stick with my 80, not because I don't think it's a 90. I just don't think it hangs with our 90s. This is just one of those movies that I could watch over and over again. Yeah, I think I could watch it again right now, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think so. I'm really glad that we finally got a chance to do this and had an excuse to do it. So thank you, patrons. Yes, thank you, patrons. Moving on to our modern film, 2014's Life After Beth. Written and directed by Jeff Baina, starring Aubrey Plaza, Dane DeHaan, John C. Riley, Molly Shannon, Cheryl Hines, Paul Reiser, and Anna Kendrick. An absolutely fucking stacked cast. Mm-hmm. And we just talked about Chronicle. Yeah. The other episode. Yes. So that, that's really funny. Dane DeHaan is from that. I was like, oh, it's the Green Goblin. Because <laughs> he was like, uh, Chronicle. Yeah. <laughs> We also just talked about Aaliyah, Alia, however you pronounce her name, Shawkat. She's in the cast list. Her scenes were cut. Okay. She's not like, in the movie. She wasn't in the movie. She wasn't. No, unfortunately not. What is Life After Beth about? Dude's girlfriend just died from a snake bite, and then suddenly she comes back to life. Yeah, and it's an emotional turmoil, I guess, after that. Mm -hmm. Uh, The movie is available with ads on Vudu, Canopy, and Redbox, which is how we watched it. We watched it with commercials. It wasn't that bad. You can rent it for $4, but it's only $3 on Redbox. uh, Or you can buy it for $12 to $14. But again, only $4 on Spectrum, just like Death Becomes Her. Either they're having some sort of weird sale or... The API between this site and (laughs) Spectrum is broken, and it's just feeding them rental data for purchase uh, data. So I don't know what it is. But check it out. Maybe it is actually that little. Should people watch Life After Beth? It's never going to just be on. So, like, that's never going to just be like, hey, if it's on, you should watch it. Right. Like, that's never going to happen. And there were some good things in this movie, but I don't think you need to seek this movie out. I laughed my ass off. I would still probably say no. I can't see recommending this movie to anybody. I mean, probably, I mean, thinking about our audience, maybe, right? Like, yeah, I'm sure a lot of people in this audience will actually really like it. But it's just so weird. But not in like a fantastical way. Not like a Terry Gilliam way, like you were talking about with Death Becomes Her. It's off the wall. It's a little off balance in a way that might put some people off. But I laughed regularly throughout the entire movie. I don't, it's hard for me to, it's really hard for me to put my finger on why I didn't walk away loving this movie. Uh Because this has just everything that you would think I would love. I liked the movie, I would say. Yeah. But I think it's, I think the writing is just not good enough. Yeah. I mean, here we have another movie. It's not every time, but it's often enough written and directed by the same person. Mm -hmm. There needs to be somebody interpreting your writing unless you get really, really lucky and you're super talented. And I don't doubt that this Jeff Baina is talented. Let me just see if he's done anything else. I think the pacing was off. I I think it's the writing and the pacing. The pacing was 100% off. I wrote later, towards the end, I wrote... They should have filled it with more stuff. They were so focused on making their admittedly fun jokes that they have zero consideration for pacing or plot. It just sort of meanders everywhere. Exactly. And it doesn't really get anywhere. Exactly. And then all of a sudden, boom! 
boom, big plot thing happens. <laughs> and it's like, whoa, wait, the entire status quo shifted entirely. But, and I think this might be kind of the point that the movie's making, everyone's sort of wrapped up in their own universe is to not really realize it when the entire fucking world changes. <laughs> so like kind of the, the point the movie's making, but it's an example of what happens throughout the whole fucking rest of the movie is that there are just these conversations that are obviously there because they thought it would be funny and it is and they just they were so fucking in love with the with their jokes and the script that they didn't realize that the pacing is just completely off mm-hmm. I think that's probably its biggest problem. It's this tonal whiplash half the time, but they could really capitalize that, and I think they do. Dane DeHaan is in this sort of mode, this entire fucking movie, where he's just whining the whole goddamn time. And it's like, I just don't want to hear his voice anymore. I actually thought Dane DeHaan... He was good. I thought he and uh, Aubrey Plaza, I actually thought they did a very good job. I thought they did a very good job, but they they just had him turned up to a certain setting... And just sort of left him there for most of the movie. And, like, they really needed to be, like, take it down just a notch. Because it's consistently throughout. And I think I wrote down a good example of what I mean. So when we get there, I'll mention it. So I think you can see why we're a little bit conflicted on this one. This is not like you have to see this. This is not Death Becomes Her quality. Yeah, and gun to my head, I would say don't. Mm -hmm. But I did like it. So it's a weird one. This doesn't happen often. Mm -hmm. You can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 2014's Life After Beth. I'm a mess, Mr. Slocum. There's just like so many things that I wish I had told her. Me too. Did anyone leave a message for me today? The Slocums? Nope, not today. I think they're avoiding me. That's the way! Okay. Where is she? Listen. She is not dead. I went to her grave. There's a hole in the ground. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. She's resurrected. Resurrection. She's resurrected. Okay, and that's better. Why? Why is that better? It's from the Old Testament. Why is all my stuff in boxes now? Beth, you're so beautiful. I'm so happy you're back. You don't want to eat me, do you? Not right now. No, I mean like really eat me. I don't want my parents around. Okay. It's not fun. It's weird. End of kiss, guys. What's going on? I wrote this for you. This sucks. Well, if you could just listen to your heart. Zach, what's happening to me? You ate a guy. What do you want from me, Zach? I'm a zombie. Zombies eat guys. So sorry about Beth. I just like kind of wish she'd stay dead. I want to eat. Okay, fine. What do you want to eat? I don't know. What do you want to eat? What, do you think you even want to eat food? Where are you going? Maybe we can go for a hike or something. I gotta go. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does life after Beth begin? We get to see Aubrey Plaza in her alive state. Uh, Assumedly, this is where she dies. I don't even remember this. Oh, we see her at the very beginning of the film hiking. Okay. So I assume this is where she gets her bite. Although Chris says that her bite is In the inside of her thigh, yeah. That seems odd. Maybe she was going to the bathroom. Mm, That's totally possible. But then we cut to Dane DeHaan looking very, very morose in a store looking for black napkins. We don't have any. And right off the bat, we are getting a cue for what kind of humor is happening Uh here. There's a man who's obviously there because there's a funeral or something sad going on. 
and getting just no help from the person at the supermarket. And the comedy comes from him saying, we don't have black, but we do have off-white. Well, but also just the (laughs) fact that he's just so oblivious to what this guy is obviously here for. What would even be helpful to him, yeah. But, like, he tells him to go to a party store, and it's like, it couldn't be more, because he's like, that's more like a Halloween thing. Yeah. But it's very obviously that he's here for a funeral. Yeah, I'm sure we've seen him on the show before. He's in a lot of things. Hmm. The guy who helps him at the store. Oh, that's a famous person? I didn't even notice. He's a comic actor. Hmm. Now, I think that in the right pacing, that could have been a really funny joke. But it's it goes through it so slowly mm-hmm. that it's painful to get through. Yeah. We cut to the funeral of Aubrey Plaza, where we meet her family and his family. You want to go through who the parents are? Yeah, so it's a little bit uncertain as to what all the relationships are immediately, because we don't even know anything's really happened yet. What happened is, is that Beth is dead. Dame DeHaan is her boyfriend, and they're at this wake. Although they they were kind of on a break. Yeah, they may have been. That also is very unclear, because he never really explicitly states what was going on Mm -hmm. the entire movie. So we have Beth's parents. It's John C. Riley and Molly Shannon. Yes, and they are very funny. Yes, as Maury and Jeannie Slocum. And then we have Dane's parents. It's Cheryl Hines and Paul Reiser as Judy and Noah Orfman. Who don't hit the comedic mark. There's, uh, like, nothing for them to do. Well, like, the whole joke is supposed to be that they're just totally self-obsessed. Yeah. They don't give a shit about uh-huh. their kid and what he's going through. And, like, that can be funny, but it's not here. The pacing is never right with yeah. that couple. We don't meet him here, but Zach or Dane DeHaan's brother... Kyle is played by Matthew Gray Goobler, who has been in a lot of things, but Kelsey and I probably know him best from Criminal Minds. <laughs> uh, they very much look like they could be brothers, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. So Dane DeHaan is going to feel uncared for by his family because they just don't seem to give a shit that she died. They are planning their trip to the Turks or the Caicos. Yeah, Turks and Caicos. We could go to the Turks or we can go to the Caicos. And it, it sort of exemplifies the movie's problem with timing. And it's almost like it doesn't count on its audience to understand its jokes or its statements. So they just drill this into the ground in this couple second scene, right? Mm-hmm. But other things are like this too. Like, did you know, I don't know if you knew this, Kelsey, but did you know that Beth liked to go hiking? Oh, God. Did you know that she liked to go hiking? I Yeah, some of this felt a little uh, improv. Yes. Like, that they were just kind of saying the first thing that came to mind. Right. They have a checklist of things that they know about these people. Yes. And then they just keep going back to the well because they don't know anything else. I feel like all it said on the page was they fight. Yes. Uh-huh. You know, so it was like, let's go hiking because I know that you like to do that. Yeah, uh-huh. You know, like... They can't think of anything else because these aren't real people. They have not fleshed these characters mm-hmm. out, which I think is kind of sad because I would expect more from Dane DeHaan and yeah. Aubrey Plaza. Although, don't get me wrong, I think that they do a very good job. Yeah. Uh, and I think that they have excellent chemistry. Yeah, they do. But, I mean, we won't see it until later. But when we do, did you know that she's not allowed to go outside? 
And uh, if she does, it has to be during the nighttime. Like, just, you get these things over, like, they they drill them into you over and over and over again. And it's like, yeah, I get it. Movie, move on. Stop it. And then other things that won't ever be referenced again entirely. And it's very bizarre that it is ever... Anyway, we'll get to it when we get to it. But, yes, so... They are planning a family trip. Because of that, he feels unloved and uncared for. So he's going to go and hang out with Aubrey Plaza's parents. And here he's going to admit, you know, like, we were kind of having problems. Now, there's a movie. I can't think of what it is. I think it's Jake Gyllenhaal. And, like, the girlfriend died. And it's, uh, Hook. What's his name? The guy plays Hook. Dustin Hoffman? I think Dustin Hoffman is the father. I think Jake Gyllenhaal was, like, engaged to her, and then they called it off, like, less than a week before she died. Why does this sound so familiar? Uh, What's Moonlight Mile? Go back to that. Yes, Jake Gyllenhaal. Boom! Susan Sarandon, Holly Hunter. As he copes with the death of his fiancée, a young man befriends her parents and must figure out what he wants out of life. Yeah, okay, so in this movie... Jake Gyllenhaal is going to have a very similar conversation because they had, like, just broken up before she died. And the difference here is that Dustin Hoffman is, like, upset when he finds out that they had broken it off because, like... What? Yeah, because, like, Jake Gyllenhaal, like, starts to like a girl. Oh, in Moonlight Mile, yeah. Uh uh, Whereas in this one... They befriend each other. John C. Riley is actually very kind and... Mm -hmm caring and like i get it i know that you guys had kind of been going on a break i get it yeah i mean the last thing she said to me was that i was being annoying Mm -hmm. you know if i I can't get hung up on on what it was at the end you know and then they get high together yeah which oh oh my goodness oh my goodness so they like pick and choose out of these two things that we just learned that dane dehan can call john c Riley murray now instead of mr slocum and that they smoke weed together. What? Which of these is going to be relevant later on in the movie? Both of them? No, just one of them. Just the fact that he can call just him Just the by fact his name. that he's going to call him by his name, Maury. And he's going to do it 147,000 goddamn times. This is the sort of thing that I'm talking about. Like, they could have been a little bit more subtle with the fact that he continues to call him Maury throughout the entire movie. Anyway... But so this is where he says, you know, there's so many things that I wish I had gotten to say to her, mm-hmm. which John C. Riley is going to use later to his advantage. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So Dane DeHaan has gone a little bit over the edge because mm-hmm. of this death. And they mentioned that they like Jello, And so he's going to like make them a Jello mold and bring it to their house and just yeah. leave it on their doorstep when they're not there. He also, he also asks Jeannie for her... Scarf. Scarf. But it's the middle of summer. And he's like, you know, I don't care. It belonged to her, right? And he puts it on and he wears it everywhere until he sees her again later. And then it's basically non-existent for the rest of the movie and has no impact on anything until he puts it on her tombstone. Yes. So, like, I don't know. Like, I feel like there are opportunities that they're not taking and other things that they just repeat ad nauseum. Like, there needs to be more balance between the things in this movie. Well, actually, I thought that that was kind of a symbol of the fact that, like, this was the real her. Then he gets to fake her. Then he gets to put it back on the real her. Right. But I wanted it to have something to do with the plot 
as much as they used it until he saw her. Mm-hmm. It was it was he was going everywhere with it. You saw him everywhere with it, and they didn't even acknowledge that he stopped wearing it. But okay, while he's delivering this jello mold, I wrote down, who was that guy in the background? Did you notice? No. So some random dude. Oh, who ro- runs by? by? Yeah, yells at somebody and runs by, yeah. And you're going to start to pick up on these little things. And I think that's kind of where the movie shines. You don't like these things. No, I don't like them because it's 2014 and... Shaun of the Dead already exists, and it does it way, way better. Aww. We get we get this, and then we get they're going to be listening to the radio later, and they're going to get a flash of like a news report saying chaos, and then you know, and that like that's it. And then until it comes to a head and everything, and it's madness. And well, I, I kind love, of like the madness. <laughs> I love when he interacts with the fucking mailman. Yes, yeah. Uh-huh. And no, and then doesn't bring it yes. up and just acts like, okay, all right, that yeah. was a weird interaction. Like, doesn't think twice about, hey, wait a minute. That's because, and I think that works well for the character development and that these people, every single goddamn one of them are so wrapped up in their own shit that they don't notice that the world is falling apart around them. <laughs> I just wish we saw more of the falling apart that they don't notice. You know, like later on when it's chaos, there's going to be crazy thing going on. But even though it's like your grandpa is alive again, we're concerned with the fact that he's shooting his desert eagle or whatever, you know, or we got to take care of this thing with Beth. Like it's your grandpa's alive. You know what I mean? Like, so I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like I, I I liked that element. I just wish we got to see more of that. There's just there's a little glimpse here and a little glimpse there, and then torrential downpour later on. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Eventually it starts to get that he's harassing the Slocums, and his brother, who apparently works as a security guard for their gated community or whatever it is, has to show up and take him back home. And they got a fun relationship. Yes. Yeah, he plays a he he's a real kind of psychotic person, mm-hmm. but like a good person. At the yeah, same he's time. like a good guy, but he's very into his I've only ever wanted gun. to shoot people. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm working on Briar Grove now, but I shot Poppy in the head. Hey, 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 that's okay. That's okay. All I ever wanted to do was okay. shoot people. They, they were they were gonna eat everybody. <laughs> they did the right thing. They were suffering. Oh, they were suffering. <laughs> But hey, maybe the shooting, maybe that's not the best dream, Kyle. Maybe, maybe you should think of a different dream, right? A better one. But yeah, he's pretty funny. I love him from... Criminal Minds. Criminal Minds. So I loved him in this movie, even though it's a bit part and it's a little wacky. It's, it's a completely different character. Uh, yes, very different. But... I forget what it was, but, like, I, someone is having conversation about something serious, and then the, the subject is completely changed. And I wrote down, this movie is really fucking grim. Mm-hmm. But I like that yeah, about I don't, it. I don't mind the grimness at all. I like how cruel it is, because that's the world, baby. <laughs> so I, I thought... Like, this movie is dark, and I like that darkness. I just wish that the the comedic moments punched more. Yeah. He finds out that Beth is alive. Yeah, well, okay, 
Well, he finds out that Beth is alive when he sees her inside, and that's why the Slocums have been ignoring him, and that's why he's felt the need to harass them, because it's, like, his only positive emotional relationship he has at this moment. It's the only thing keeping them together. Uh, but, yes, he does find out that the reason that they've been ignoring him is because she is alive, and then we get a commercial, because we watched it on, like, oh. <laughs> 2B or Voodoo or something like that. Yes, the commercials came at funky times. There was a commercial. It was 15 seconds long. That's it. And then it went right back to it. Just so we can watch this apparently Halloween theme commercial for trolley worms. And there's like this kid and he's, uh, yeah. he's hiding in a closet from a monster. And then the worms start making noise. So he has to eat them. <laughs> They're, like, alive in his package, and then he has to eat them, and then, but they still make noise, and so the monster finds him, and then he gets a big smile on his face, and all the worms are wiggling around. End of commercial. <laughs> You'll have to show it. Oh, absolutely, I'm going to have to track this commercial down. It, is, <laughs> it was bizarre. <laughs> Just 15 seconds of that, and then right back to the movie. <laughs> But when he first finds out that she's alive, he thinks that, like, they it was a faked hoax. her death so yeah, that she uh -huh. could end his their relationship. Yeah. And she, Aubrey Plaza's character, Beth, is going to be very much on the edge. Every little thing is about to set her off. And that is because this movie kind of says that she's a zombie. Yeah, this this is a zombie movie. Yeah, I mean, you don't know that yet, but, uh -huh. like, eventually you're going to realize, okay, she, so she's a zombie. It's just a long, protracted degeneration process. And I think that the implication is there's, like, a comet going by. Maybe. Because you kind of see one at some point. But it's not really a zombie apocalypse because they're going to finish the zombies really early. Like, yeah. really quickly. Which, spoiler alert... If zombies were real, we would be able to take them down pretty fucking quick. Yeah, I think we've talked about that in the past. Yes. An actual zombie apocalypse would be ridiculous. <laughs> but here's the thing. Like, there's funny lines, but they're just not... They don't hit right. It is one thing to want to see other people, but you went way over the line. Like, that's funny, but not... It didn't quite hit. Yeah. Any idea what you put me through? Okay. All of you. You you know what? You know what, Beth? It is one thing to say that you want to see other people, okay? What? But I am a wreck. Don't I say wreck. anything There's you no wouldn't want to say now. Like you were supposed to be my friend. I still Wait a minute. We are friends. Who said I wanted to break Let's up talk, with you, Rachel? And a lot of this is going to be like post-it note problems. We've mentioned these in the past. One of the reasons things go a little bit south is because, well, let's just set this up right now. Maury and Zach are two different extremes, and they're both wrong, right? Maury is like, we got our daughter back. We shouldn't question it. She should never go outside. No one can know. We must keep her inside. We must protect her. I obviously wasn't protective enough when she was alive. Obviously wrong, right? But Zach's like, we need to go out, and we need to go... In a, in a playground. Well, because he and, wants to have sex with her, and but she's like, we can't have sex with my parents in the house. We have to go outside. Right, I understand, but he's he, he like doesn't give a shit about anything. Zero risk. Beth is alive. It would, it's criminal to keep her locked up, so let's go out and risk everything and, 
you know, like none so of them. So we can have sex in the middle of the in day, the day on a playground. A, in a playground. It was weird. It was weird. <laughs> but my point is, is that they are both like extreme viewpoints on this. Nothing's wrong. Nothing could go wrong. Risk everything. And everything could go wrong. I don't want to lose her again. Risk nothing. And they're going to come to conflict as a result of that. And it starts out by Maury doesn't tell Zack enough. Now, this isn't a Last Jedi problem where why the fuck would a general tell one of her soldiers her entire plan when she doesn't even fucking know who she can trust and she can't trust him anyway because he fucking disobeys her direct orders. So obviously she can't trust him. This is... Two people with a direct relationship centered around a particular person and the fantastical is happening now and either one of them could ruin things for the other person. They need to be on the same page. Well, but they don't talk about it. It's odd because at first Dane Dahan is frightened. He's like, she could be a zombie. And they're like, no, she's been resurrected, which we've talked about that before. Mm-hmm. So that that gets kind of flipped later. He is afraid of her. Yeah, you, you don't want to eat me, do you? Which is another joke that they do three or four different times, and it never escalates. It's just, you're not hungry, are you? Like, that's... And it's never as evocative as uh, my boyfriend's back is. Yeah, uh-huh. It doesn't you know? go weird like that one does. Hey! Yeah. No, I, I like that movie. Mm-hmm. There's a weird thing about them always wanting to go to the attic. I don't think I got the joke. That's another thing that's just so underdeveloped. I guess... Zombies like addicts. It's just a thing. Why? 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 why they like addicts. How the fuck do you know that? Because Beth came back too. That's where I've been going at night. I love an addict. I'm going up. Well, stay. We can talk. No, I'm going. To no, the no, attic. stay. Stay. Come on. They really like addicts for some reason. I'm going up to the attic. No explanation. Just a thing. Is it a joke? Because sometimes you find them in addicts in zombie movies. Is that a thing? No, I think it's because they are buried underground and, and they, they want to get to the highest high? level. I think that's it. That's really boring. Right. But she basically lives in the attic now. She doesn't remember what happened. Yeah. And it's all She doesn't even remember them being broken up or on a break or She's, whatever. Yeah, she doesn't remember that they were broken up. She doesn't remember that she died. She doesn't remember climbing up out of her grave. And yet later, the other zombies are going to totally be like, oh, yeah, I'm back from the dead. And it's yeah. totally chill. Uh-huh. And you're like, is she in denial? I'm so confused. No, it's just inconsistency. Okay. Again, when you're the director of your own script, that's that many, that's that fewer eyes, <laughs> like, giving your product a once-over. And that may sound like a good thing and you have complete control over your idea, but if you're writing anything, give it to people. What was the test thing about? She had a test. That she had to study for. I think that's where her memories go back to. Or is that just what they're telling her and that's why she can't leave because she has to study? Like, is it's very unclear. And they will talk about the fact that she has a test tomorrow Constantly. over and over and over again. This and is exactly what I'm talking like, about. What, is she in school? Are they in school? No, I it's summertime. <laughs> no, they're in school, but it's summertime. And... I thought they were adults. No, I think they're like 17 or maybe they just what? graduated. Maybe they just graduated. I don't know, but the point is is that it's summer he says and she she's like no, I have a test tomorrow. Like so it, that's just dropped and now he needs to play along that she has a test tomorrow. 
And they never explain why she doesn't understand how time works. They don't explain why at first she's not hungry for human flesh, and then later she becomes well, it, hungry for human That's growing flesh. over time, right? She's devolving over time, but it's taking a very long time. So just like other movies with zombie transformations, the one that's important to the plot takes forever, and then everyone after that is almost instantaneous. Because he, he is with her for days, and she does sort of devolve over time, but it's a long period of time. Meanwhile, his grandpa comes back from the dead, and everyone else comes back from the dead, and it's chaos that night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Confused. But, like, okay, so there's another scene where he runs into his brother, and he's cleaning his desert eagle. Not yeah. that you care. I care. Like. That's funny, uh-huh. and and then and then it just sits and sits yes. there. You're this like, is, no, the, keep it pacing. up, keep yeah. going, uh-huh. stop, don't stop, keep going. And, and don't get me wrong, I was laughing this entire time when he's like, shut the door. And so he shuts the door, and then he stands there for a little bit, and he's like, what are you doing on the other side of the door? You know, like, that moment yeah. is really funny to me. And it's not, like, unique, it's the execution is really good, but it's like... Just gulfs, chasms of empty space in between these moments. I was laughing throughout, but very weird pacing between these moments. You mentioned that we saw the mailman. That's somewhere around here, but uh, the mailman is Jim O'Hare. Gary, Jerry from Parks and Rec. I really dislike how they treat him. That's Kelsey's least favorite part about Parks and Rec. You need to know. You need to know that he is married to a beautiful woman and has a wonderful family and is nothing but happy. He doesn't even have to do it. He works there because he loves the people. (laughs) But the point is, is it's a, hey, Aubrey Plaza was in Parks and Rec reference. She's going to talk to another guy on the phone at one point, and that guy is named Andy, Chris Pratt's character, her husband in the show. Nick Offerman, who plays Ron Swanson, does a voice at one point. There are uh, just a couple references like that. They forbid her from leaving in the sun and the daylight, but she just wants to have sex so bad that they leave. She hears him call her dad, Maury, and she's uh-huh. like, since when, when did you, you call come- yeah. my dad, Maury? Ew. And then, yeah, it never goes anywhere dropped. else. Yeah, it's uh-huh. just dropped there. It's a weird... Like, it's just continually referenced over and over and over again. This is what the movie does. And it never makes anything new out of it. I think that's probably my biggest problem. Whenever they establish something, they reference it repeatedly, and then they never do anything with it. Mm -hmm. It's just, hey, there's that thing again. I will say this. Like I said, they have great chemistry. Um, It felt real how badly she wanted to have sex with Mm -hmm. them. Like, it felt... Like, there was serious, like, attraction going on between the two actors. Yeah. It would be very funny to find out if they, like, hated each other or something. And they and they fuck in full view of several houses <laughs> in a place where kids are supposed to play. Look, I'm all in for the middle of the day. having fun and doing fun shit and doing weird stuff. But in it's the middle so of the day indiscreet. in a playground, yeah. like, that's kind of rude because there's right. kids that are supposed to be playing there. And then they fall asleep there and then she gets a really bad sunburn oh right yeah yeah she's like starting to fall apart yeah like almost like with death becomes her she's in one of those states where when things get damaged they don't heal Mm -hmm. 
And so she gets a really bad burn on the side of her face because they fell asleep in the sun. And they're going to be like, see, we told you not to bring her out in the daylight. You didn't know this was going to happen. So after they have sex, Dane DeHaan is like, yeah, I got my girlfriend back. Okay. Mm -hmm. And he decides to be all romantic and take her to the beach. We didn't be like, I'm going to tell her all the things. I'm going to take Maury's advice and tell her all the things that I, I regret not telling her. We got to mention that he was in a band and then he quit it. He's in a band that we never see. Gets referenced one other time. And now he's going to play music and it's going to seem like he sucks. Is that the joke? Oh, I didn't think that was the joke. I thought it was simply that it was different. No, no. Yeah, that's that joke. But why is he bad? Oh, I didn't think he was bad. It's terrible. <laughs> oh. It's terrible. <laughs> Where's the band? Where's... Dan and Roz. Where? Yeah, it's just me. I'm solo now. That is so sweet. Can't believe you're doing this for me. sucks. This is retarded. Okay. Um, well, let me just skip to the chorus. Are you messing with me? This is fucking gay, Zach. I wrote the song for you. I fucking hate this. Okay, well, I'm like kind of sensitive. It doesn't sound right good. Well, if you could just listen with your heart. No, no, stop it. It's terrible to the point where I thought that was a joke. Okay, so he's not the guitarist, he's just the lead singer. And then he starts singing, and it's like, oh, he's not the lead singer. <laughs> I, I thought she didn't like it because he's he's coming from a place of sadness. He's yeah. the, the song is after she's broken up with him. Uh-huh. And I thought that was the problem. But like, it's not. The problem is, is that it's not the this band. It's not the band that you normally sing. Her this brain not- cannot process these new things. Mm-hmm. You know what you're and we didn't really talk about it, but this whole time Maury's like, you can't tell her that she's dead. And he wants to, and he right. keeps not telling her. And again, again, guys, the zombies later are going to totally know that they're mm-hmm. zombies. There's not going to be a question of, I don't remember what happened. Is it 1993? Mm-hmm. Like- and, and Dane DeHaan will say, we should tell her. And Maury will say, no, we shouldn't. And then Dane DeHaan will say, we should tell her. And then Maury will say, no, we shouldn't. (laughs) But so she gets so upset by this that she like throws him and starts a fire. Yeah, well, she she fucks it because they're they're at the beach. There's the lifeguard tower there. And she breaks the lifeguard tower and the power cable that's running up it sparks and it sets the whole thing on fire. And... Yeah, it's a big deal. And she's starting to, like, show freakish strength. And she's uh, losing her mind a little bit. Yeah, she's like, what is happening to me? You've got to help me to Dane Mm -hmm. DeHaan. And she's like, I feel really dizzy. I feel really cold. And he's like, you're not hungry, are you? Because like I said, there are several, there are a couple of times throughout the film that he's like, are you going to eat me? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know? And she's like, no, I'm not hungry. 
And this is where we find out that she likes smooth jazz. Merchant destruction in the downtown air. Here. That's good. Are you serious? Yeah, which I thought was a funny joke. And they do do something with this later, a couple different times. This is probably the best of the running jokes throughout the movie. Like, it's the best executed because they do keep elevating it until, like, the very end when it's, like, legitimately funny. There's a funny visual gag. I... (laughs) I just love how much Dane DeHaan hates it. If for me, like this, really would- smooth jazz. I hate this music. It feels so warm. It feels so good. Really, it's smooth jazz. It feels like I'm melting. This we like. <laughs> no, I would not want to listen to smooth jazz for a long period of time. But like, it wouldn't bother me for this amount of time. But this is like if you force me to listen to country music. Like, this is how I would feel. Because every time she does it, he's just like, God damn it. He hates it so much. And it's, I thought it was a good joke. Yeah, she describes it as warm and feels so good. She makes it feel like she's melting. Yeah, uh uh-huh. She describes a physical feeling around smooth jazz. So then she's like, well, let's have sex again. Do you get it, though, Kelsey? Do you get it? Because smooth jazz is such brainless tripe that the zombies whose brains are incapable of handling change or anything exciting smooth jazz is what calms them down that's the joke i understand why people might find it calming (laughs) yes totally yeah that's why they play it in offices easy listening but so, because she feels better, she's like, let's have sex. And he's like, oh, sweetie, your breath. Like, because she's starting to rot. Uh-huh. And she takes him up into the attic where he finds that she's slathered the room with mud. So I don't understand why being a pie would matter if she's just going to make it feel like she's in a tomb. It's another inconsistency. Mm-hmm. But so when he starts to be like, I don't think I want to have sex with you, she becomes very aggressive. Mm -hmm. Um, She calls him a little bitch and attacks him, basically. And it's not that he doesn't want to have sex with her. It's just that she probably reeks and, Mm -hmm. like, you know, her skin's starting to rot off. So I don't think I want to have sex with her either. He ends up climbing out a window. And then she pops, you know, the little fan on, on your roof, pops that out and sticks her head out through the top. Yes. Where are you going? <laughs> he goes to the diner, I think, and when he goes in, they're listening to the wave. Yes. And he's like, can you please turn this Do off? Do you remember the wave? And he's like- 93.7, the <laughs> wave. And he's like, you don't like the wave? <laughs> Could you change the radio station, please? You don't like the wave? It's just like really stressing me out. Smooth jazz, I mean- it's supposed to have the opposite effect. It's supposed to calm you down. Well, not with me, man. So can you just, like, do something about it? But while sitting at the diner, Anna Kendrick walks in. Yeah, we finally get to see Anna Kendrick. Yeah, she's in this movie, too. Cheryl Hines, Zach's mom, mentioned that, oh, did you know who I talked to? And it's Anna Kendrick's mom, who I guess they know each other from... Jazzercise. Jazzercise. <laughs> yes. Which is pretty funny. Yes. Um, 
They don't they don't belabor that. They just bring it up one more time and it's done effectively. You're lying. What even is that? Or whatever it is she says. Um, Who's she? She's just like a childhood friend. From when? I don't know her. She's like our mom's jazzercise friend. She's like, she's hey. a friend. Our mom's jazzercise together. Bullshit. That's your alibi. Who's Yeah, we get to finally, so we get to see her kind of out of nowhere, like halfway through the movie. And now there's going to be this sort of love conflict. Yes. He is starting to become exhausted by, you know, like it's, it's emotional whiplash, right? They, they were in love. They kind of sort of broke up. Then she died and he had to deal with that. Then she came, then he became like obsessed with the idea of her. And then she came back and then he sort of pushed that onto her. And then things are going really well, so well that they're having sex in public. (laughs) And then things start getting erratic and he feels unsafe and she's becoming obsessive and she's starting to rot. (laughs) And then there's this girl that he was friends with in elementary school. And it's kind of sad because he's like oh your skin is so perfect i can breathe through my nose around (laughs) yeah like it's just because she's alive basically right but she obviously does like him like she's really nervous around him and it's very cute but again people are acting strangely around them and they just don't notice yeah uh uh-huh they're leaving the diner and Beth is going to show up and he's going to run Beth over. Yeah, there's this sort of violent encounter where she thinks he's cheating on her. And I mean, in a way he is like it, it's not an innocent interaction for him, but obviously nothing's actually going on. And she gets really aggressive and violent. And then he sends her away. I forget why, like she leaves or something. And yeah, and then he gets in his car and he goes to leave and he she jumps at him and he ends up running her over. Like she tries to attack him while he's in his car. <laughs> and everyone's like, oh my God. He gets out of his car and, and the car tire is on top of her and somebody's like, get back in your car, man. Get off of her. And so he does. And then she gets up and then she attacks everyone who's trying to help her. And so he's like, calm down, calm down. There's nothing going on. And she's like, I want to go. Because earlier he said all the things he wished he had done with her before she had died. Flamenco dancing is one of the things he mentions. She says, I want to go flamingo dancing. Uh And he's like, you mean flamenco? No, flamingo. It's really (laughs) bad. I've been looking all over for you. I want to go to flamingo class. You mean flamenco? No, retard flamingo. Let's go. Whoa, no, okay? I ran you over. And how am I a retard? You said flamingo. A flamingo's a fucking pink bird, okay? Stop being such a pussy. You said you wanted to dance with me. You never do what I want to do. And then she does like, a very good job, I think, of playing this character. Yes, she's very funny. But it also gets old quickly, uh-huh. you know? But, but it's so- the sort of thing where Aub- Aubrey Plaza, I have to say, I think this is one of her best features, is she is fucking fearless she seems awkward and like you know maybe a little bit shy or whatever but she will do and say things like it's it's gonna be a really weird comparison but she gives me like norm mcdonald vibes i don't know if that means anything to you but he will say something just to see like sort of what reaction he gets out of the audience and whatever that reaction is he'll revel in it and he'll let everyone just sort of sit in it for a little bit that's how she is when she gives like interviews and stuff like that and i like watching her perform this role i think about like what this must have been like filming and how she just kind of goes for it in every moment and is sort of fearless so i I really like her a lot in this well 
So what I mean by, like, it gets old kind of quickly, like, okay. So the next scene, she's going to say that she's hungry. And they're going to have this back and forth. What do you want? What do you want? I just ate. I'm not hungry. What do you want? I don't know. Like, and this is a very common joke because Mm -hmm. it is a very real thing that Mm -hmm. happens between couples all the time. And it's a really funny idea to have them having this very real everyday fight while she's a zombie and he's alive. And she's got like a tire track over her. Right. (laughs) But they go back and forth and it doesn't go anywhere. It never escalates. It's just, this is what I'm talking about. Like it's a funny idea and then they just didn't know what to Mm -hmm. do with it. But yeah, so poor Dane DeHaan is just like, I can't do this anymore. You're not you anymore. You're angry and you're violent. But as much as he wants to deal with that, He can't because, as you say, chaos is ensuing. People are rising from the dead left, right, and center. Yeah. Somewhere around here, he takes her and reveals to her that that she's dead. I don't know what order of events these things happen in, like, very specifically. But somewhere around here, he takes her to her grave and she doesn't believe it. And she's like, how could I be dead? Mom and dad would have told me if I was dead. Your parents think you were resurrected like Jesus? (laughs) Or a zombie. And then she sort of like comes to terms with that. Uh, And then she gets sad because she thinks he doesn't love her. Yeah, this is where he says you're violent and you're angry and you're destructive. And I'm like, I'm scared of you. Okay. Yeah, that's because that's when he finally reveals to her that she's dead. But yes, he goes back home and Gary Marshall is in his living room. His grandfather. Yes. Who... It really wants to go up into the attic, and they're all just talking to him like it's nothing. Well, Matthew Gray Goobler, the brother, shows up with his oh, desert yeah, he eagle, wants to shoot and he him. can't stop just like instinctually shooting him, which is kind of a funny thing. And then the original owners of the house show up. Yes, it's I the paid twelve thousand dollars for this house. Uh, no, we just need to go up into the attic. And I can't remember what the exact line is, but Gary Marshall says, I was in World War II, I know addicts. I paid $28,000 for this house. When was that? I'm not going anywhere. This is my house and my attic. I fought in World War II, and I know addicts. Don't get upset. That's an Anne Frank joke. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Weird thing to say. (laughs) But Gary Marshall, he's a Jewish guy. (laughs) He's a Jewish comic. Oh, okay. But this is what I'm talking about, because he shows up and all this stuff is going on. And all Dane is obsessed with is helping Beth. I don't remember, like, what the circumstances are, but he's like, yeah, great. Grandpa's alive. Whatever. Yeah, he needs to get back to Beth. He eventually finds, well, because I think he's he's planning on killing her, I guess. He goes to find her. And he gets her into the car and he turns the music on and he gets so upset. God. When he has to listen to it again, it's very funny. But then, like, she's chewing on the inside of his car, and he's like, just go easy on the interior, baby. Right. They are and it's so... funny because the car is completely wrecked otherwise. Right. But they're so cute together. Uh-huh. Like, the way they look at each other, the way they talk to each other, there was a lot of chemistry yeah. there. It's, it's, it's great because she just needs to sort of give him a look or just be present around him. And even as a zombie, you know, like, she loves him. And even though she's a zombie, you know... He loves her, you know. Forgot to talk about this very strange side story. They had a maid at the beginning of the film 
who, like, he thought she must know something about the raising of the dead, like, because she's Hispanic, I guess? No, she's not. She's Haitian. Oh, Haitian. Sorry. She's Haitian. And so, so voodoo stuff person came... Person of color. Yeah. So, zombies, I think we've talked about this before. Like, zombies were a real thing, at least thought to be, and there were, like, real actual articles written about it. Uh, and the idea is that in Haiti... You could poison somebody and shut down their metabolism so much so that they could be declared dead. They would be buried. You would come back and dig them up later and then revive them. They never actually died. But because all their systems had been shut down for so long, they're basically brain dead. And you can make them do whatever you want. And they would work as slaves on your property. And that's what a zombie was. Mm -hmm. um, and that was a thing that was supposedly happening in Haiti. And so since she's Haitian, he just – and has an accent, I guess. He figures that, you know, maybe she must know voodoo. I think Maury even suggests that. I don't know. He, he brings it up to Maury. No. Maury says, don't talk to her. Maury doesn't yeah. want him to talk to her at This all. was that conversation. I say, I kind of wish Dane didn't have that wavering voice the whole fucking movie. And for example, I'm saying at the end of the conversation with Maury in Maury's car – he like takes him out to his car and they're like having a conversation and he suggests, yeah, don't don't bring Pauline or whatever her name is into this. Her quitting had nothing to do with this. Perline, yeah. Because it had nothing to do with this. He finds out when he goes and visits her brother that it was because Maury kept showing her his dick. Is that supposed to be funny? Yes. Also, like, way to ruin the character for us. Yeah. Yeah. Weird, weird choice. Right. It was an, an interesting thing how you could sympathize with both people on either side of an argument. And it's a rare thing. And then they just kind of ruin it for you. Right? Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, no, Maury's actually just awful. Mm -hmm. And then you won't see him again because he'll die before the next time you see him. And that's just how that goes. Whatever. But I am sort of just enjoying this ride. Things are happening and it's okay because it's zero stakes. Yes, now it is chaos. There's dead people walking around everywhere. Uh-huh. Okay, so this is where he has her in the car while he's talking to Perlene's brother. And then when he goes back down, Maury's there and pulls a <laughs> shotgun on him and then hits him over the head with the barrel, not the butt, oh, despite so what the closed captioning might tell you, of the shotgun. And he passes out and doesn't wake up till the morning. And so huge state of events change. Huge status quo change when he wakes up in the morning. There is a zombie just staring at him and doesn't make a move for him. So he just drives away. He just away. Get, drives away. He goes home. His house is trashed and there are people burned and he thinks it's his family. And You're apparently, just like, Jesus. like, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I thought the same thing. I was like, why would he assume that's his family? But he does. He does. And it's like, okay, so that's weird. Yeah, he finds somebody sleeping on his couch. Who are you? And then that guy runs away and then he finds people burning and he, he just assumes it's his family. I'm like, the movie does nothing to make me think that it would be. It'd be weird if it was. <laughs> and then he goes to Beth's house and Jeannie is trying to, has her strapped up to their stove and is feeding her her finger. I thought she was feeding her her father. Cause yeah, and I think her finger must have gotten bit off during that. No, but her yeah. hand got bit off, I think. No, it's just her, like, one or more fingers got bit off. And so he has to wrap it up, Dane DeHaan does, and help her out there. But yeah, because she killed 
Maury. He's dead, and Jeannie was feeding Maury to her because she needs to eat, but has her strapped up because she's so dangerous. And he's sort of like, okay, calm down. I'll take care of this or whatever. And then we never see Jeannie again after that, which is also weird. But okay, no concern as to whether or not she survives. And he goes in, he's like, hey, come on, you want to go on a hike? And he takes Beth on a hike, and she's strapped up to this stove, and she can't get out the front door, and this is when his brother shows up. Oh, before that, though, she's trying to talk to him, even though she's in this state. Uh Uh-huh. And she gets out, aren't you afraid of me? Uh Uh-huh. And he goes, you're all I have left. It's I really mean, yeah, because he, he thinks, thinks his whole family's family dead. dead. Yeah, he's just like, this is you're what I have, so uh-huh. let's go. And I she, got, this she is can't, what life is now. And she can't attack him because mm-hmm. she's attached to the thing, even though she could have gotten up the whole time. Yeah, when he's like, okay, do you want to go? She just stands up and lifts up the whole thing, mm-hmm. which is a f- kind of funny moment. Yes, but yeah, she gets caught in the doorway, and then his brother shows up and wants to kill her, and. At one point during their conversation, he turns around and just shoots this old lady. Shoots a living person. Who we, yeah, appears to be living. Just and then because he's in a frenzy. Uh-huh, just like no comment on that. Right. <laughs> but he wants and to he shoot says, Beth. I shot them all. And the guy's like, oh my God, you <laughs> killed my parents, our parents? And he's like, no, not mom and dad. They're fine. And that's where you find out yeah. that they are perfectly happy. They are yeah. perfectly okay. They are staying at... Their rabbi's house, I think. Something. Yeah, because he's the guy that came by to the wake and, like, said something to Zach early on in the movie. And then you don't see him again the entire movie until the very end. That's where they are. They're holed up there. And he's like, okay, well, you got to meet us there at 4 o'clock sharp. 1600. That's 4 o'clock. Not a unique joke, but still funny. But he basically gives Zach his Desert Eagle .50 so he can take care of it. Do the right thing. And he's like, okay. So he takes the gun and they go on a walk and they're out in, you know, the desert hills of California. And we get her going, it's pretty. (laughs) Lavender. Smells good. (laughs) With his stove still strapped to her. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, it's really soothing, isn't it? (laughs) And and over her neck, she has a boombox playing smooth jazz. Yes. And that's that like visual gag that I thought really we needed more of those sort of escalations of the previous gags. Oh my god though. Okay, so he he talks he gives this long speech about how worth it is then to at least get to see her and uh-huh. do certain things with her. Say and all say the things, things he didn't get to say before she died the first time. And then he shoots her and her fall down the hill is insane. Hilarious. Like they just they just strapped a mannequin or a, you know a fake body to a stove and then they tossed a stove down the hill and it is fucking violent. It's not delicate at all. <laughs> I I thought I respected them for that. I thought that was pretty good. But then again, it is a very grim movie, so it's very it works. They also like so before he does that, he they say I love you to each other or whatever and and how peaceful it is and how nice it is. And then he says he pulls the gun on her and he says goodbye or whatever. And then they had they had perfect it was perfect. It's like say goodbye and then shoot. He doesn't. He allows her to get another word in. So the last we just had a whole conversation about last words. And her last words to him are where are you going? Yeah. Or something like going? that. <laughs> Because he says goodbye, and then he shoots her. I'll always love you, Beth. Forever. I love you. 
That could have been an opportunity to try to, like, get in the, la- like, tailor the conversation to be the one he wants to remember or whatever. An opportunity for comedy, but no. I thought it was funny. And, it, yeah, it was sort of tragic, like, in a mini-tragedy kind of way. Yes. That he set it up so perfectly and it still ended that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he throws the gun in the ravine and I was like, dude, that's your brother's desert eagle. But also throwing away the weapon always pisses me off. Yes, that's that's Kelsey's biggest pet peeve. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it wasn't even in one of these circumstances. It was not like a slasher movie or anything. Still. So he goes to his rabbi's where house his or whatever are. his parents Anna are. Anna Kendrick is there. She's a little bit traumatized, but she's okay. I stuck a tent pole through my Nana's head. <laughs> Doesn't she look good? <laughs> And yeah, his brother's like, where's my Desert Eagle? And I'm like, ah, see? I told you. But, okay, so before they have clarification that everything is fine. Uh-huh. He's still. He has this plan that they're going to walk on side streets to Machu Picchu. And I'm like, what yes. is happening? Yes, he's like, we're going to walk to Machu Picchu. Because they saw it on a documentary earlier. Which is where Ron Swanson was talking. Yeah, yeah, yes, that's right. Yeah, he's the narrator to that. And... It's not played for a gag, and it's not explained. Nope. But we're just gonna fucking walk to Machu Picchu, and then they just, they find out that everything's okay, and that's Rob, the end of that. Rob Delaney shows up in a bathroom, talking about how all the zombies are dead now. Hey, everything's great. And he sets up a date with Anna Kendrick, and that's the end of the movie. Yeah. So you can see why we're conflicted. Hopefully, right? Like, it's clever. It's got ideas. It's funny. It's got lots of good ideas. Yeah. Just not all well executed. And some, it's like they had no idea where to go with it. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, that's the biggest problem. Mm -hmm. I'm repeating myself about repeating myself. But you got to understand that, like, that's because the movie just keeps doing it. There are continual examples of it throughout the movie and different things that happen. So, yeah, I... It's a, it's a weird one. This is why I was like, no, I don't think I could recommend it, but I do think I liked it. And so it's more frustrating when I see the things that are wrong with it. It's like, oh, man, this had potential. Mm-hmm. So what do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes, Kelsey? I'm going to guess it has a 62. 45. Oh, wow. In spite of Aubrey Plaza's committed performance. Eh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Life After Beth remains a sketch-worthy idea that's been uncomfortably stretched to feature length. Oh, yeah, I see that. A Metacritic of 50, no cinema score. So do you think that that is overrated or underrated? I'd say that's a little underrated. A little underrated, yeah. I was going to give it a 60. I was was thinking 60, maybe 65. Mm -hmm. I think I'll give it a 63. So, like, overall, we liked it. Yes. But it's not that great. It's just, it needed a couple more rewrites before it got on the page. I mean, on the screen. Or writing it all because it seemed like they were relying too heavily on improv. Yeah. Or it was just written heavily naturally, but just there wasn't anything interesting. Like, if you're gonna, if you're gonna write something, it's a feat to make it sound like it's improv. Like, that's impressive. Mm-hmm. That was the whole thing. This is gonna seem like a non sequitur but brian michael bendis is a comic book author and that's sort of what made him famous and also joss whedon would do the same thing so brian michael bendis did this with comics and joss whedon did this with sci-fi 
is they have a they do a very good job of making stellar comedy out of language that sounds like people actually talk to each other. And that's a skill to write down conversations that sound like they're real conversations. So I I will say that that if if this is written and it's not improv, then I think this guy has a real knack for that. The problem is, is if you had the time to write it all down and get it down on paper, I would not expect the issues that are leading me to think that this is actually improv. Mm-hmm. Repeating things, not going anywhere, wandering around in circles in the in the conversation, going back to things that don't seem related, but it's the only thing you know. Mm-hmm. You know, like that, either it's improv and that's a bummer because it meant that you left too much up to chance and didn't write enough down, or it's not, and you wrote it down and you still didn't land it. Like, yeah, so... It didn't have enough rewrites. Yes. I, this, I mean... You know, my students always say, why do I have to rewrite it? And it's like, because you're going to... Trust me. You have made mistakes. Trust me. Mm -hmm. For sure. So, I mean, all in all, I think it's been a good week. We did like both of these movies, including especially liking Death Becomes Her Mm -hmm. uh, from 1992 and actually liking Life After Beth from 2014. Thank you, patrons, for giving us an opportunity to do this one. Yes. uh, Sometime in the near future, we will be doing The Runner Up. The Runner Up, which was Donnie Darko and Coherence. Congratulations to everyone waiting for us to do Donnie Darko, despite the fact that I've continually campaigned for it not to count as a horror movie. But don't worry, we're, we're going to kind of stretch our definition a little bit. You'll see more things that are like weird dramas and sci-fis that might, if you look at it slant-wise, be considered horror. Some people think the bunny is scary. Yes, for sure. <laughs> so, with that said, Kelsey, what are we watching next week? So next week is also another uh, patron choice. Okay. And it's a movie that I've wanted to see for a little bit. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, it just came out, but I've been looking forward to seeing it. This set of choices was all about, how about some recent horror movies that we haven't had an opportunity to see because we're watching all this other stuff? Mm-hmm. So let's watch some of those recent horror movies. So our old movie is going to be Kiss the Girls, which some people might say isn't a horror, but... It's a thriller, I'd but... Say. Eh, yeah, it's Alex Cross. There are a bunch of Alex Cross stories out there. So Kiss the Girls and The Black Phone. Yes, which I'm really, really excited about. I hope it's good. Uh, so do I. Now, I did just hear from Bob, he always has a tendency to watch these movies before we get a chance to, <laughs> that... He did like it, so and he thinks we will too. So that's a good sign. Yeah. So really interested in seeing the black phone along with Kiss the Girls. That is next week. Until then, you can always find us at our website, Pod Cemetery, and on Twitter at Pod Cemetery, and on Patreon.com at patreon.com slash podcemetery. Don't forget to subscribe to us in your podcatcher of choice and rate and review. A five-star written review is the biggest help you can give us there, but even bigger than that is sharing the show with your friends. And even bigger than that, it's just listening in the GD first place. Thank you all very, very much. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? Could you just not breathe?
City of LA in the city of Growatz in the city city of Compton we keep it rocking we keep it rocking hell heat well, it is the natural law. Screw the natural law. These are the moments that make life worth living. <laughs> Kelsey, should life after Beth be watched by our listeners? <laughs> what the fuck am I doing? You say that. Meow. I'm here. <laughs> I love that you think of Dustin Hoffman, you think of Hook. I'm, no, legitimately, I love it. Really? Yeah, uh-huh. He's the best hook there is.